0: Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
1: This is indeed Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And happy Monday. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And this is indeed Mayor's Monday, as it is every Monday here on the show on WHMP. And our mayor this Monday is Roxanne Wiedergartner, the mayor of Greenfield. Madam Mayor, thank you so much for being with us. I'd like to begin by asking you about a very. <clears throat> important topic uh important to greenfield but also a topic that is raised in every city council across the commonwealth at this time of year which is how is the city's money going to be spent and there is a very significant debate and fight going on in your city about 1.18 million dollars as i understand it that have been taken has been taken out by the city council out of the city's operating budget and given to the schools with a specific uh, targeting, as I understand it, but I may have this wrong, of the police department's budget. uh, And I would appreciate your perspective on whether it is necessary and appropriate for the money, over $1 million, $1.18 million, to be taken out of the city's uh, operating budget given to the schools and what that means for the police department, if anything. So help us understand this fight, please.
2: Sure. Well, it it wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand i don't want that to sound like i don't support schools i have a long history of supporting schools certainly longer than any one of those city councilors since i began my political career in warwick as a member of the warwick school committee and the pioneer valley regional school committee a 100 years ago and, uh, and then went on to chair the Greenfield school committee for three of the six years that I was on it. And here I am mayor, and I'm still on the school committee and I do support the schools, but we have to support them within our means. So in order for us to get to a balanced budget this year, I was only able, much to my sadness really, they came in, the school department came in with a 10.37, I think that's right, 10.3, over 10% increase for this year
1: which is a request Uh, the school school committee can't set its own budget that has to run through the city council
2: right that is correct and um i was only able to make it a three percent over what was uh, appropriated last year so there is a if you if you from their perspective a seven percent gap ish thereabouts um And it amounted to uh, a little over $1,000,000 that they would have to um, absorb in their budget in some way or another. Um, By the time I had sent the budget to the City Council for their review and eventually a a vote to appropriate, I had already cut $2.7 million out of that budget across all departments, and that did include the, um, the uh, you know the difference uh, the 1.1 million um, so uh, uh, for the schools. So uh, you know I can't remember the exact numbers 1.2 for the city's departments and one point, um, uh, more than that, a little bit 1.5 for the schools. Uh, so this is um, this is a real problem because then the council ways and means recommended and in most cases it was voted for additional changes throughout the operating budget and while yes the police department was cut two hundred and twelve thousand dollars which you know part of that in their minds was to not include the grant in this budget but it just doesn't work that way and we cannot default on that grant so you're talking about the
3: cops grant Came the yeah, case.
2: the COPS grant. The Police Department's back, kind of where it was last year, uh, you know, they're back juggling schedules and so forth, but we'll proceed uh, with the officers that we've hired under the grant. Part of the reason the Council did this is they were of the opinion that we could then go back and backfill uh, from free cash and in um, stabilization. But just doesn't work that way particularly with free cash last year we got a substantial windfall it wasn't it was a very unusual year for greenfields four million dollars and we put it to good use but we have to keep money in free cash we can't spend it all and each year it is definitely not a guaranteed sum we have had years when we've had nothing we have had years when we've had minuses (laughs) however that gets to be uh, and we've had years hovering in the around two million in free cash. Could you stop? The there, could, day, you,
1: could you stop there for yeah. one second, please, uh, yeah. Mayor Roxanne Reed and Yeah. Free cash is a term that I've always found baffling. It wasn't free. It's tax money, no. and it's
2: yeah.
1: what is free cash?
2: Well. Uh, let me see if I can come up with a short and simple version that I understand. Free cash is a, a certain amount of money that you have left over at the end of the year from all of the money that the departments didn't spend and that was turned back. And um, you, how they do the math is a mystery to me. That's why there's wonderful people in the accounting and finance department. Um, uh, certainly on a Monday morning. <laughs> it's a mystery to me.
1: So free cash but, uh, is, is free cash kind of like the savings account for the city it's money yeah, that is there f- for emergencies essentially and or to cover bills it.
2: and it it is intended to be used for only one time expenses that you might not have expected and so forth so if we were to come back with a supplemental budget end of year roughly that would be for things that we Expenses that we were not able to cover. It's not to cover departmental budgets stem to stern or make up a difference in in this budget or that budget. And don't get the impression while the while the Chief's budget, Chief Hague's budget was probably the largest cut in departments, they also cut $600,000 out of uh, health insurance, $600,000 out of the health insurance that we are obligated to pay our employees. That's the big problem right now. The other cut that made no sense and was quite reckless and irresponsible was the $200,000 that was taken out of short term debt interest. When we have a a firehouse, a brand new fire station and a brand new library that we are funding partially in substantial numbers uh, from borrowing. So we will start, you know, we will have to at some point make good on those. Um, And that is... Well, wait a second. Let's stop there for a second.
1: Let's stop there for one second. Let's stop there for one second. The city has indebtedness. It has bonds, I take it, to pay for these capital projects. The city, um, no more than the federal government, can't afford to default on that. It has to pay that interest and principal payments, doesn't it? I mean, that's a legal obligation.
2: That is correct. But... um, you know i don't pretend to understand the city council and their reasonings um they don't believe that they believe that somehow or other you know the bonding agencies will look the other way um and that will somehow or rather come up with that money uh somewhere along the way so uh, that only happened wednesday and thursday of last week our finance director is still going through the budget to see where and what we can do and where our problems are. I do know that the cut in health insurance, well, we are hiring daily. And part of the package is your health insurance. We'll have to stop hiring people and that includes teachers. This is the weird piece of this. Every, all of those cuts were ostensibly to help the schools. But in, in theory, they cut teachers' health care. They cut the ability to hire new teachers, they cut their workers' comp. Um, there's just a number of of decisions that were made that that really to get just simply to get to that $1,000,000 um, when they already had a balanced budget in front of them. You know, there 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 could have been some legitimate. Uh, case made for a few hundred thousand dollars, but $1.1 million is. Um, basically.
1: Ridiculous. Can you tell us where the cuts come from? I mean, the, the, the mm. budget of the city is not an ever-expanding pie. It is oh, simply no. the size of what it is. So if you're yeah. going to give $1.18 million more to, to the school side of the budget, you're going to have to take out $1.18 million from the city side or everything else but the schools part of the budget, and therefore some departments are going to, in fact, be impacted either in their operations, their number of personnel or the like. Can you tell us what departments are going to be hurt by the cut?
2: Well, I just gave you the two big ones. That's $800,000 right there. That's health insurance and um, and then the short term debt interest. But, um, but and then our departments, I mean, the economic development department, I guess we we're done with economic development in Greenfield before we even got started. Um, you know the um, the library, uh, our brand new library. There was a request for a um, additional part time children's librarian. The uh, there were a number of departments. I don't have the list in front of me right this minute. Um, unfortunately, I took all that stuff home with me this weekend and uh, didn't bring it back this morning. So. Um, But a number of our departments were affected. DPW seemed to work out pretty well, um, at least on the operating side and and the fire department. I mean, like I said, we had already cut money, $2.7 million out of that budget in order for us to get to a balanced budget, which we have to do.
1: And when you say cut 2.7, are you saying cut 2.7 million compared to this year's budget, or cutting 2.7 million dollars out of the departmental requests to you for this upcoming fiscal year's budget?
2: 2.7, the the latter, 2.7 million dollars out of departmental requests already.
1: And in terms of the budget that you sent to the city council, it is the mayor's budget that that begins this process, isn't it?
4: Yeah, yes.
1: OK, so of that. Of, of the allocations in that budget, I would like to know whether or not there was an increase or decrease to the police and or an absolute increase or decrease to the school side.
2: Well, there was a definite decrease to the police by about 212.5, I believe. Um, like I say, it wasn't 400, but they, the budget they presented this year, for FY24, I mean, was basically making up for finally being able to, along with the assistance of the grant, make up for the 425 from last year. We had already cut approximately 160,000 out of that budget before it got to the got to the city council. So the police department did receive a substantial cut, um, but it is it is all for out. Uh, our cuts of the 2.7 were already out of departmental budgets and in a couple of other areas that escape me right now that don't necessarily affect, they affect more of the overall operating of the city.
3: So Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner, um, there is a foundational dispute between you and your city council in Greenfield. And, and the school committee.
2: And school <laughs> committee. Yeah, um, we have we have three legal opinions, two competing with the city attorney. Well, let's
3: <laughs> let listeners know what the dispute is about. It's about the authority of the city council to actually amend your budget, right? Could you explain that? What the dispute is?
2: Yeah, I'll try to give you the short version of that one too. Um, it is uh, relative to a particular chapter of Mass General Law, Chapter Forty Four, Section Thirty Two. Chapter 44 is the law that governs um, municipal finance, whether you're a town or a city or whatever. Um, So chapter, uh, section 32, specifies that the city councils and the um, select boards, and I guess to a certain extent town meetings, can reduce, but they cannot add, except, There was an exception made in 1987, and that is um, Acts of 1987, chapters 329, and uh, it's specifically 329. Um, And,
3: um, well, before we lose any listeners about what the section is, so this is the basic question. You propose a budget, and the question is whether they can just enact amendments to your proposed budget, and you say they may not. And they say they may, and you say that there's three different legal opinions. One, you hired a lawyer, council hired a lawyer, school committee has a lawyer, and you're saying there's three different opinions about whether they have the power, and they're relying on a a 2012 act of the legislature. That's who the city council relies on.
1: Well, wait a second. Let me see if I I understand. The fight is about whether or not the city council can add to the line items that you've proposed. That's correct. Okay. That is correct. And, it
2: is not. Oh, sorry, Bill.
1: And as I understand it, the city solicitor's opinion is the city council can't do that. And the city council has a lawyer's opinion saying, yes, they can do that. All very interesting. It's we, You do not have uh, five years to figure out this litigation and for this because the budget starts uh, July 1st. Well, they just did it, right? So that's why I'm asking uh, the
3: mayor. So
2: as you know... Um, there's more nuances always to the to these disputes than than that cut and dried. The city council can clearly cut a budget. they cannot add except in the circumstances of adding to the school budget if if this is the big if, this is sort of the crux of the argument. if uh, the city council has uh, accepted, the provisions of Chapter 44, Section 32 by a vote that is approved by the mayor. And then there's another step. The school committee has to uh, take a vote to request that the City Council. Add to the school budget it doesn't have to have a sum just that that says we we request that this year's budget, you know, whatever. Um, I'm on the school committee we haven't done that yet um, so anything we do after this is a little behind the behind the fact um, so that's the only time they can add just to the school budget we are- and uh, the reason there's three opinions is because the city's if you let me do this quickly maybe or okay. come back to it the city solicitor has said the mere mention of it in the charter does not uh, c- uh, Make a vote, it requires to follow the steps of the procedure uh, a vote by the council to accept, a request by this and me to approve, and or not me, but whoever's the mayor, and the school committee uh, also requesting. Uh, so, some of those steps may or may not have been done. Um, the city count, uh, the city solicitor does not think that the 2012. Uh, piece is valid either because that was simply Bill Martin accepting the when we did the charter change or charter update in 2012. Bill Martin accepted. That section as as amended um, in the budget. Oy the chart.
3: Quite complicated. We are always so grateful to have Mayor Roxanne <laughs> Wiedergartner, all of our mayors, but especially today, Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner. We're going to co- take a break. We're going to come back. And
1: we're going to find out whether Greenfield will have a budget because, well, it's about the fiscal year is about to start. What is going to happen? We'll be right back.
0: talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg coming up right here on
1: whmp oh the places you'll go this dr seuss book might be the quintessential graduation gift Broadside has it, plus other books for grads,
3: like What Now by Ann Patchett, Navigate Your Stars by Jesmyn Ward, Toni
1: Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard, Selected Essays, Speeches, and Meditations. Browse Broadside Bookshop for inspiring books for graduates. How about Devotions, The Selected Poems of Mary Oliver? How about Rough Sleepers by Tracy Kidder? Or Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things? Browse Broadside, buy a book for a grad.
5: Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. Here
0: comes the money. You could be one word away from (laughs) $1,000. It's a Grand in the Hand on WHMP.
6: Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 8 15, 1215 and 415
0: When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a Grand in the Hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com.
7: The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. You're listening
0: to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And because it's Monday, it's Mayor's Monday on WHMP and Talk the Talk. And we are visiting with the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegartner. We have been talking about the don't let your eyes glaze over the budget. But it's a crucial issue because the city council has, I think we all agree, has within its authority reduced the budget by $1.18 million dollars. What it has also done, which is subject to legal dispute whether or not it has the power, the city council says it does, the mayor says no, it does not, is give an additional $1.18 million to the school. The the fiscal year begins July 1st. This is not an academic exercise. Uh, What's going to happen, Madam Mayor? There's $1.18 million that either is or isn't going to be spent on the schools, the other departments are or are not going to be cut $1.18 million. What's going to happen and who's going to decide and when?
2: The important thing is that uh, I'd rather not be fighting about any of this, uh, but it is what it is at the moment. Um, The important thing is is that we have a valid legal budget in place by July one there are open questions as to whether the vote that was taken is valid uh, and legal uh, in many ways. And part of that has to do with whether or not the city council has followed the right procedure to accept uh, chapter 44, section 32, which does allow them to cut from the operating budget of the city and give to the um, schools, but only if you followed the correct procedure. So, okay, okay. and, and you're, saying
1: is- you're saying that the city council and the city itself has not accepted the procedures, so the old procedures remain, <clears throat> which are that the city council can reduce your proposed budget, the mayor's proposed budget, but can't add to it. Is that right?
2: That is that is right, Bill. That okay. is right. Okay. So, what-
1: so what's going to happen? Who's going to decide that the fiscal year is going to be here in an eye blink?
2: So what city what our city solicitor did is uh, bundle up the three opinions and uh, all of the other differing, you know, exhibits and whatnot uh, regarding the legal opinions that we got from the school's attorney, the city council's attorney, which really is our city attorney, but they chose to get a different opinion, which is fine. Um, And uh, then uh, the city solicitors. Uh, opinion and sent them to the D. O. R. To ask the Department of Revenue Revenue to ask for their guidance in how they should proceed and how they view. uh, What has transpired and whether or not the city has acted properly. Okay, there is some precedent in the city for in previous years for the city councils and probably. Mr. Singer was on one of those City Councils uh, to do that. But just because you've done it wrong (laughs) one year, doesn't mean you can continue to do it wrong. So unfortunately, it has come to a head as to whether we need to resolve the issue of whether the Council has ever really properly voted uh, to, to make that amendment. And I don't know how long that will take. That information was sent to the Department of Revenue on Friday. Um, They tend to get back to whoever's, you know, sending the question pretty quickly, I think, especially if they happen to represent a major law firm in Western Massachusetts.
1: Okay, so I understand the following. First of all, on your and the city council's report card from the school department, under the heading, plays well with others, you're going to get a no. All of you. (laughs) That said, with the Department of Revenue, it will give an opinion. Is that going to be accepted by the city? Uh, I don't know. Because it's not a judicial uh, determination. It's just an opinion. It's not just an opinion. It is the opinion of the Department of Revenue. So far, so good. But are are you going to adhere to whatever the, the DOR says, and will the city council and at that point, why wouldn't the city council say, well, okay, we didn't go through this hoop of accepting this new section of the law. Why don't we accept it now and then we can do it?
2: Well, I, I, that is probably part of it. I haven't seen all the questions that um, the attorney sent to them. Uh, it's a little, it's, it, they actually, DLR is a, is a very important partner in this because they have to certify our budget that's who certifies whether we can actually have a valid legal budget or not. So it's important that we contacted them. It's important that they get back to us. And I think if you were a City Council and you were doing right by your entire city and all of the taxpayers, then um, you would accept that because if DOR doesn't accept a valid our budget is valid and legal, then we have no money to work with on July 1. As near as I can figure it out, uh, if, if we come to some resolution, then we will deal with the budget uh, that we have, you know, and that might mean hiring freeze, et cetera.
1: We're going to have to leave it there. We have been speaking with the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedergartner, on this Mayor's Monday. Thank you so much for being with us on your regular time and space here on our show. Madam Mayor, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Mayor. And
2: thank you. Thank you for your patience. Bye. Bye bye. This is a
8: story about Billy Joe and Bobby Sue. Two young lovers with nothing better to do. But sit around the house, get on watching too. And here's what happened
1: when they decided to cut loose.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
6: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Sherra presented the fiscal 2024 budget to City Council late last week. The $132.3 million proposed budget represents an increase of 4.7 percent from this year's budget and includes money for the creation of a new Climate Action Department, Resilience Hub, and a proposal to hire student officers to address the staffing shortage with the police department. The proposed budget also includes a ramping up of the Division of Community Care. Shira told the council she's hopeful for the future of the city, with ambitious plans and a strong drive toward progress and long-term success. The Massachusetts Commission on LGBTQ Youth will work with Stonewall College at UMass for training to benefit Amherst and Amherst Pelham Regional Schools beginning at the start of school next year. This comes as a response to recent allegations of transphobic comments by counselors at the middle school and a Title IX investigation. The training will involve consultation with students and will require the cooperation of Acting Superintendent Douglas Slaughter. The Safe Schools Program for LGBTQ students is also developing an education, outreach, and advocacy program to increase positive engagement of parents and caregivers of LGBTQ youth. The Bombex Center for Arts and Equity will remain music-free until an automatic sprinkler system is installed in the center's sanctuary. Fire Chief John Devine ordered that all indoor music cease, as Bombex is considered a nightclub due to occasional liquor sales, which would require the sprinkler. Divine's Order follows a meeting last Thursday with city officials and Bombeck staff to address problems. The Bombeck Center is located in Florence's Historical Congregational Church.
9: For today, it'll be mostly sunny, highs 70 to 74. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 42 to 46. And the outlook for Tuesday, sunshine and clouds, highs in the lower 70s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
6: This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media.
10: Yo soy Johan Rashí Vega con la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media. El presidente Joe Biden y el principal republicano del Congreso de Estados Unidos, Kevin McCarthy, subrayaron el miércoles su determinación de llegar pronto a un acuerdo para elevar el techo de deuda del gobierno federal de 31.4 billones de dólares y evitar un incumplimiento económicamente catastrófico. Después de un enfrentamiento de meses, el presidente demócrata y el presidente de la Cámara de Representantes acordaron el martes negociar directamente un acuerdo. Se debe llegar a un acuerdo y ser aprobado por ambas cámaras del Congreso, antes de que el gobierno federal se quede sin dinero para pagar sus cuentas tan pronto como el 1 de junio. Vamos a unirnos porque no hay alternativa, dijo Biden a los periodistas en la Casa Blanca, diciendo que acortaría su viaje a Asia y regresaría a Washington el domingo, pero que las discusiones a nivel de personal continuarían en Washington. El límite debe levantarse regularmente porque el gobierno gasta más de lo que recauda en impuestos. Biden partió el miércoles para la cumbre del Grupo de los Siete de Líderes Mundiales de viernes a domingo en Hiroshima, Japón. En otras informaciones, el gobernador de Montana, Greg Gianforte, firmó el miércoles una legislación para prohibir que TikTok de propiedad china opere en el estado para proteger a los residentes de la supuesta recopilación de inteligencia por parte de China, lo que convierte a Montana en el primer estado de Estados Unidos en prohibir la popular aplicación de videos cortos. Montana prohibirá que las tiendas de aplicaciones de Google y Apple ofrezcan TikTok dentro del estado, pero no impondrá ninguna sanción a las personas que usen la aplicación. La prohibición entrará en vigencia el 1 de enero de 2024 y es casi seguro que enfrentará desafíos legales. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holly Media a través de WHMP.
6: This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
9: Mother, mother, there's too many of you to
1: cry. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you die You know we've got to find... On Martin Luther King Day in the year 2011, mm. we had... On the show, the 9 o'clock show with Bill Newman, we had four African-American members of the community here in the studio. And I asked a question, and I said, I'm a little embarrassed. I know all of you, and I've known all of you, some of you for a long time as friends, and I've never asked you this question. So I hope it's not a bad question. And I asked the question, what it's like to be black in the valley? And I was really nervous asking the question, as in, what could the response be? And the response was actually really affirming. and said, no one ever asks, or not no one, but generally speaking, people don't ask. And I was thanked for asking. And that was the beginning of this segment, Black in the Valley, that has now been with us, almost, without fail, twice a month for over 12 years with the segment's hosts, the Professor Karly Tartikoff and the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks. This will be the last show for them hosting the series, although I'm sure they'll be back with us from time to time on this segment and others. And Professor Amalkar Shabazz, a professor at the African American Studies Department, head of the department actually at this point, is with us as well. Uh, professor Shabaz. Shabazz is going to be the new segment host for Black in the Valley. And we also have with us in the studio Professor Dimitri Shabazz, who has been a regular guest mm-hmm. here on Black in the Valley. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you the question that I posed. Is there any difference 12 years later from your, from your perspective, Carly Tartikoff, with regard to being Black in the Valley?
11: Are you asking me what it's like to be black in the Valley? I'm asking
1: whether there are discernible differences over the past 12 years looking back.
11: Yeah, I think there's more awareness of our presence in the Valley. And I think part of it is being on a show like this. Um, When we started, there were very few outlets, except at the university possibly, um, and maybe radio shows like Kari and Jiri, and then there were other people who who had done that made had that kind of role, but not something that was expressly asking for. What are the experiences of African Americans in these in this in this valley? Uh, and I guess. It's, it's been affirming to me that we have been able to lift up figures, the hidden figures that, that are in our communities and shine a light on their challenges and experiences and struggles and joys. Let's remember the joy of being black an African American in this world. And I believe that our show, our segment has helped to move that agenda along to answer
1: your question. Let me turn from Professor Corey Tartikoff to the Reverend Jacqueline Smith-Crooks, and I pose to you the same question. Jacqueline?
12: For me personally, um, and thinking uh, out of um, the space of being part of the collective, I'd say there's been some change Um, I didn't know anything about WHMP um, until we were guests there Um, there was no outlet when I'd go home either to the south or when I was in Albany, New York um, they'd ask about the music that was on and I don't know that we had our, our music and radio um, talk shows were woven in there together. So I would say there has been some, and I have, I have reason to believe that our presence on the radio impacted the larger community because people have said uh, I heard I heard about you um, on WHMP. Um, massive changes, I think I probably anticipated, but I have to remember uh, that change takes a while, sometimes.
1: That was Jacqueline Smith Crooks, the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith Crooks. We are joined live on the phone. By a very special regular guest of this show,
11: mm.
1: Representative Mindy Dom. Representative oh, Dom, are you? Oh, Mindy. Add? Mindy, we Bye. you are live Bye. and on, on the air. You are joining uh, professors uh, Dmitry shabazz and Amal Shabazz and Carly Tartakov and the Reverend Doctor Jacqueline Smith Crooks. I know you know this is uh, Jacqueline and Carly's final show as the host. They'll be back with us for sure from time to time, and I know you want to share a few words. So. Representative Mindy Dom, the microphone's yours. Thank you
4: so much, Bill. Thank you so much for letting me interrupt your conversation to wish um, Carly and Jacqueline, first of all, thank you so much. I'm expressing a gratitude of an appreciation of a grateful region for your 250-plus episodes on Black in the Valley and making sure that there's not only that voice, on the radio, and thank you, Bill, for that as well, and WHMP to host it. Um, but also, not just to have a voice, but to make sure that we're, we're aware, that the region is aware of issues of concern to the black community, and that we're hearing it directly from members and leaders in that community. Um, I can't begin to tell you how valuable that is for the whole Valley um, and beyond. Um, so I want to express deep gratitude for your persistence and reliability in making sure that our awareness is um, current, relevant, um, and um, actionable, quite frankly. But also I want to wish you congratulations, not only on this like incredible achievement, but I hope that the transfer of power and the reins to this program means that a little bit more um, TLC time for yourselves, which you certainly deserve. Um, But I'm also looking forward to you being guests on the show and still weighing in on the issues of our day, because I learned so much from both of you. And Carly, you know, I learned so much from you, even just seeing you in Amherst and greeting you and having little snippets of conversations um, just makes me a better person. So thank you. Thank you so much for letting me butt in and interrupt.
1: Well, we really appreciate your time. A quick comment back. I know that the representative has to get back to her legislative duties. Carly?
4: Just
11: thank you for those words, Mindy. And we're back from Italy, as you know. <laughs> and uh, we love you.
4: <laughs> the feeling is totally mutual. And I think you know also our community loves you. It's not just personal with me, but it's our community. And we're glad you're back because you belong in Amherst. And um, <laughs> uh, I love you and I congratulate you. And I look forward to having more um, conversations with you, whether I hear it on the air or in person. So congratulations and thank you so much. I,
12: too, Mindy, thank you so very much for those kind words. Um, I I feel confident when I think about having you over in um, the legislative role on my behalf, and on behalf of people who look like me. And I, I feel a sense of justice that comes through what you do and why you do it. And I feel, wow, that I feel like you live it. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much. That's extremely powerful and meaningful to me. And I hope that you'll hold me accountable to your very kind words.
1: Thank you, Representative Dom Thank you for joining us on this very special Black in the Valley. We'll be right back more with another very special guest right after this. <laughs>
0: This is talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it's happening here in the valley, we're talking about it.
5: We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to, you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists and it's not an issue that's going away easily.
0: 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Some people know how to prepare seafood. Seafood's delicate. You don't want a heavy hand. Some people have the touch. Some of those people are in the kitchen at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where there's a 40-year tradition of preparing seafood. Wisdom passed along through the years. That's why when you have fish and chips at Paul and Elizabeth's, or Faroe Island salmon, or tempura shrimp with that light and lively orange ginger sauce, it's perfect every time. Fresh Seafood, Paul and Elizabeth's, Inside Thorns in
1: downtown Northampton.
8: What's Cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman.
1: Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
8: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And this is a very special Black in the Valley show with Professor Kari Tartakov and the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith Crooks, who have hosted this segment for over 12 years. Also within the studio, Professor Amilcar Shabazz and Professor Dimitri Shabazz, and one. Professor Monty Belmonte, thank you for coming back.
7: (laughs) It's my pleasure.
12: What a surprise. Uh, (laughs) uh, What a surprise. I couldn't
7: miss it. You know, (laughs) this has been such an important segment of this show. It's been such an educational experience for me to have done this with you for so long. Uh, The different people that I've gotten to know through you have been amazing, including the Shabazzas, who I did not know were going to be here today. So that's extra special, too. So I didn't want to miss this last time around.
12: I've watched you grow. It's not that I'm the (laughs) professor of relations, but I've watched the changes you've gone through. Um, One was kind of sharp. On Father's Day, <laughs> Papa was a Rolling star. Stone. <laughs> <laughs> that was his and, only and mistake. W- you, and, and, yep, that, Let, that was the only one. Yeah, we a- and and you picked up on it and you, right away. And you, r- right away. Right. Yeah. Uh, and in so many other ways, you have demonstrated the sensitivity to differences um, and appreciation.
7: And, yeah, and I mean, your own growth. I think so, too. I mean, in Newman and I have talked about this many, many times. And I heard you talking about it earlier in the segment that there have not historically been in this valley many places where black stories are being told in media. And so the fact that um, that I got to sit here and listen to those stories through you for so long and how influential it was for me um, on the river, my time on the river. One of the times I remember in particular is, you know, in the midst of the pandemic. And all of the Black Lives Matter rising that, you know, you both helped participate in a radio version Mm -hmm. of a Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. protest where people drove around the valley listening to a soundtrack (laughs) and then hearing your voices telling the stories. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, really a powerful experience for me to have produced as a radio person. But even... The expansion of the Food Bank March into Springfield, mm-hmm. you know, and hearing the stories about what goes on where I'm about to go drive to in 10 minutes <laughs> oh. and how close we are to that, but how far we are away in so many ways. And to be able to bring those stories it uh, wouldn't have happened without the two of you. So I'm, I'm forever grateful for both of you. you.
12: You just impacted me in a way that corroborated what I was thinking And I don't want to take credit where credit is not due. But saying that said to me, that made all the difference in the world. All the difference. Because my life was between Amherst and Springfield. Mm -hmm. And um, very little positive interaction came here around Springfield. And when you took it there, you don't know how much it touched me.
7: And then I get to meet more people from down there and hear more of the stories down there. Mm-hmm. I think of Liz O'Gilvy, who I've now got a relationship with and the work that she does down there and mm-hmm. all that I feel like grew out of, of this segment yeah. on this show. Oh. Brings
12: the worlds the two worlds closer. Yeah,
7: for sure. And we're so close and we should be so close. And you know, you both deserve a ton of credit for making that happen on our airwaves here in the valley. And Newman as well for being yes, – to have enough, bold
12: enough, foresight enough foresight
7: to say this is something we really need to do and we need to make it something that happens regularly. And the fact that it's going to continue with the, with the Shabazzes here I think is remarkable too.
1: Well, as my dad used to tell me, uh, skill is important. And luck is indispensable. Yeah. so
7: <laughs>
1: we luck, we lucked into Black in the Valley. Let me uh, t- uh, turn to Professor Dimitri Shabaz and ask you for your thoughts about what Black in the Valley with uh, Carly and Jacqueline has meant to us here in the Valley.
13: Really important. Um, I think to put it into perspective, these are these these two elders are culture workers, culture activists that that brought their skill that brought their love right and their deep thinking to the black experience and so it's not to be minimized it is to be raised up and celebrated and we will miss you we know that it's going to go on we know that you'll be visiting but we will miss your voices because it was sustained and it brought i'm going to quote my my son who was on your show uh, a few times Listening to and having been on the show myself, this is Ursa Shabaz. It has served as a safe space for people to speak openly and honestly against individualist system of the U.S. This is my my baby. It's <laughs> been it's it's been a point. It's been a point of connection as well, bringing to the forefront voices that have no amplifier anywhere else in the valley.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. We yeah. cannot thank you both, uh, Jacqueline Smith Crooks and. Kari Tartikoff, you have made a remarkable contribution, for which I am really grateful, for which the station is really grateful, and I think the community is really grateful. Mm. So I really appreciate, uh, Professor Dimitri Shabazz, your 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 words and your thoughts. Maybe it would be a good time to turn to Professor Amakar Shabazz, who will yes. be the new segment host. Um, uh at the risk of sounding really trite and cliched, you do have very big shoes to fill, two pairs of them, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> Professor Shabazz, your thoughts on this really,
14: I think, momen- m- momentous occasion. Mm, yeah. At least they're flats. <laughs> <laughs> don't have me in stilettos. Thank you, for. Uh, uh, here's a, another youth voice, um, young voice to you, sisters. When reflecting on what Black in the Valley has meant to me over the years, I can't help but remember the Veterans Day episode in 2019. Myself, along with Joshua Anderson and Jaime Montenegro, uh, read the biographies of black veterans to shine the light on some of the nation's silenced voices. Dr. Tartakov and Dr. Smith Crooks, have done a fabulous job of lifting black voices and growing connections with all people, no matter their identity. Thank you for your ongoing contribution to our community in and out of the recording studio, Monica Cage.
12: Thank you. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. That was very beautiful. Thank you, Monica.
1: Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Professor, I'm Akash Shabazz. Your thoughts about continuing what Carly and Jacqueline have begun and have made part of this community for the past over 12 years?
14: I, I think the lesson is the, the listening to and the amplifying of the, the, the many voices, the diversity and range of voices in our community. That's one of the things I'm struck by. Um, they've they've, they've see, found people, you know, uh, invited people, and we brought people in, authors, uh, artists, uh, the, the whole range and gamut of our community to come in and, and speak for themselves, about themselves, for themselves, and, and that's what I hope to, to see continued.
12: I, I would like to make one last statement. I, I know that I talk slow, but Bill, one of the things that I commend you for is immediate action. Very often people uh, see something needs to be done and it might be done down the road. You did it. Um, I'd never seen anything happen so quickly. You did it on that day.
1: Mm. Yes. Oh, I appreciate you, that so very much. Carly Tartakov, I loved you before. You came on the show as a regular host, and I love you even more now. Jacqueline Smith Crooks, it's been an honor to work with you as well. Amal Shabazz, I really look forward to our continued relationship and your continuing Black in the Valley. Dimitri Shabaz, thanks for being with us today. And Monty, you too. Really appreciate
5: oh, it. Oh, yeah.
8: Get takeout, save 30%. Get candles or hit the links, save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. The Shop 30 Store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and WHMP, events. WHMP Northampton and
0: WRSI 30%. HD2, Turner's Falls, WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station.
5: It's 10
8: o'clock. <laughs> I'm Deborah Rodriguez. President Biden and House Speaker McCarthy have their work cut out for them at the White House today. Correspondent Matt Piper says their goal is keeping the government in the money past the end of the month.
15: President Biden is set to meet with Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy this afternoon as the clock ticks on a deal to raise the country's borrowing limit. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that early June is a hard deadline for the federal government to avert default. A new development in
8: Ukraine, CBS's Pam Falk reports from the U.N. The International Nuclear
4: Watchdog Agency warned that the largest nuclear power plant in Europe this morning lost all external electricity for the seventh time during
8: the conflict. Ukraine insists it has nothing to do with today's claim from Russia. Troops have burst through its border for the first time since the war began. The governor of Belgorod says three homes and an administrative building have been damaged in the alleged attack. A man accused of murdering four college co-eds is expected to enter a plea this morning at court in Moscow, Idaho. CBS's Jim Crusula has the details.
4: Brian Kohlberger will make his first court appearance after being indicted on charges, including four counts of first-degree murder. The 28-year-old man is accused of fatally stabbing four University of Idaho students in an off-campus house last November. He was a graduate student in
8: criminology at a nearby university at the time of the murders. Some doctors in New York City are walking picket lines. Mount Sinai, what do we
0: want? Resident physicians paid by Mount Sinai have been working here at Elmhurst Hospital without a contract since last summer. They say they want their pay to match the salaries of their non-union counterparts in Manhattan.
5: We're angry
8: that it's leading to this.
0: Darius Razius for CBS News, Queens, New York.
8: Forget those three coins. Climate protesters have thrown something else into Italy's famous Trevi Fountain. Correspondent Vicki Barker is at the foreign desk. Protesters released
5: black dye into the water and unfurled anti-fossil fuel banners. Police waded in to arrest them. Rome's mayor says 66,000 gallons of water would have to be thrown away to make the fountain flow clear again.
8: The next part of the mission accomplished for three astronauts, one from the U.S. and two Saudis, as well as a wealthy adventurer who hopped a ride on a Falcon 9 rocket. Hard capture is complete. Dragon is firmly attached to the International Space Station. It's home for
0: at least the next eight days.
8: It is the second-ever private astronaut mission to the ISS. One of those Saudi astronauts is its first female ever. The Dow's down 60 points. This is (laughs) U.S.— CBS
0: News. Need to hire quality candidates fast? You need Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Visit Indeed.com credit.
15: Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? Maybe an outdated news article or sensitive personal information about your family? Search engines don't always get it right. But right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair, Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff, so that it rises to the top, helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free Reputation Report Card at ReputationDefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681. For
6: WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Scherrer presented the fiscal 2024 budget to City Council late last week. The $132.3 million proposed budget represents an increase of 4.7 percent from this year's budget and includes money for the creation of a new Climate Action Department, Resilience Hub, and a proposal to hire student officers to address the staffing shortage with the police department. The proposed budget also includes a ramping up of the Division of Community Care. Shira told the council she's hopeful for the future of the city, with ambitious plans and a strong drive toward progress and long-term success. The Massachusetts Commission on LGBTQ Youth will work with Stonewall College at UMass for training to benefit Amherst and Amherst Pelham Regional Schools beginning at the start of school next year. This comes as a response to recent allegations of transphobic comments by counselors at the middle school and a Title IX investigation. The training will involve consultation with students and will require the cooperation of Acting Superintendent Douglas Slaughter. The Safe Schools Program for LGBTQ Students is also developing an education, outreach and advocacy program to increase positive engagement of parents and caregivers of LGBTQ youth. The Bombex Center for Arts and Equity will remain music-free until an automatic sprinkler system is installed in the center's sanctuary. Fire Chief John Devine ordered that all indoor music cease as Bombex is considered a nightclub due to occasional liquor sales, which would require the sprinkler. Devine's order follows a meeting last Thursday with city officials and Bombex staff to address problems. The Bombeck Center is located in Florence's Historical Congregational Church. For today,
9: it'll be mostly sunny, highs 70 to 74. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 42 to 46. And the outlook for Tuesday, sunshine and clouds, highs in the lower 70s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
0: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg
3: on WHMP. And welcome to Talk to Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. And we have with us a, a special guest. I always, by way of disclosure, David Singer was my uh, law partner for about uh, over 20 years. How could that influence this this discussion? No, I'm perfectly <laughs> impartial. Absolutely impartial. And it doesn't matter that he was the president of the uh, of the uh, Greenfield uh, City Council uh, or chair of the Greenfield School Committee or that he currently serves as Chair of the Zoning Board of Appeals. I have no high regard for this guy, Bill.
1: Okay. Good introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Neutral, not too many positions, (laughs) not a lot of accolades, no adjectives. I think it's well done. But this is what he really is. He is an observer, uh, an insider
3: observer of Greenfield's politics and uh, the civics involved in uh, the complicated, I dare say more complicated than many wish, uh, Greenfield political. What's the right word? Uh, to, uh, the scene. Scene is a good one. That's a good word. Scene. Yeah, I like that. Hello, David Singer. Hello, Buzz Eisenberg. Hello, Bill Newman.
1: Hi. Oh, and we can we could we could name this segment the con, con, the continuing conundrums, something like that. Ooh, I like it. There's That's alliteration
3: fine. and everything. So, given the
16: all right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All, all right.
3: Uh, well, let's start with another C. The civics involved in what we've been witnessing during this budget season. Uh, the tensions between the mayor of greenfield roxanne wiedergartner and the, the uh, city council of greenfield uh david give us a civics lesson <laughs>
16: okay well um so the the mayor of course um creates the budget and it's up to the council to approve the budget and the council has more power than that which i i did listen to the mayor's uh, segment uh an hour ago and uh we can talk about that in a minute but assuming that the charter was properly amended, the city council has the right to reduce um, budgets in all the departments and uh, they have one right to increase a budget and that would be in the school budget. So at the end of the day, I know on. at the end of the day, um, uh, the city council has a lot of power in the process. So it behooves the mayor to work with the city council during that process so that it's not what it ends up being today. That's my opinion. So from 10,000 feet, what happened was that over the course of the winter, I mean, it could have even started sooner than that. But there were loads of meetings at, at the council that um, loads of meeting at the city council level where parents and teachers came and asked the school, asked the council to please support increases in the schools. And there were responses from many of the city councilors that they intended to do that. So that was out there. Um, I, I don't, I think what, I think the mayor's proposed budget was responsible. Uh, I think, um, you know, she has a duty to all the departments and she did what I believe that she was supposed to do, but she immediately got feedback from the city council that they were not interested in passing her budget as presented. So the question was, what was she going to do then? And she kind of stuck to her guns and, um, the city council decided that they were on a mission, and they um, they went forward and did what the charter allows them to do. Uh, I'm not going to judge it right or wrong, but clearly, uh, you know, so, I mean, if you want to ask me questions about that, I'm I'm happy to answer it. But the civics is is that you had the legislative representative body of the city unanimously voting to add uh, 1.2 million dollars to the school budget, taking away from other portions of the of the town side of the of the uh, city side of the budget so you know that's that's democracy as far as i could tell
3: well i I just want to revisit uh our conversation with mayor roxanne Wiedergartner and and Mm -hmm. ask you you are an attorney so uh, you're familiar with this the mayor contends that the town council the city council excuse me lacks the authority to move money around and give and to restore one point one eight million dollars to the school budget as was requested by the school committee Uh, she contends that that was never accepted by the city council the statute that allows them to do that and therefore it's an unlawful act do you have an opinion in that regard
16: Well, I don't have an opinion that I would would rise to the level of legal opinion. I don't want to interfere in that regard. I I heard what the mayor had to say, and to her credit, you know, she got an opinion. Others got their opinions, and they are differing. But, again, from 10,000 feet, what I see is that in order to amend – so the original charter did not have this provision. So the original charter was uh, voted on in 2003. In 2012, however, an amendment to the charter was presented to the city council. I've actually seen the documents and was approved. And the mayor, then Bill Martin, approved it as well. So so, that so is you're connected. saying that the, the
3: city council, the council actually voted on accepting the statute's uh, uh, grant of yeah. authority they, they, to well, do they this?
16: Didn't, they didn't have, excuse me, they did not vote to accept the statute. They voted to amend the charter, adding language that said that they, that they cross-referenced the provisions of the section. So I, I think that's kind of what... You know that's in my mind that's the same thing maybe somebody else doesn't think that's the same thing but in my mind that would be the same thing and that's what the lawyer for the city council said that by the council and the mayor amending the charter that was that was sufficient it was sent to Boston these acts of two thousand and twelve that you spoke of um, confirmed it and approved it there is that there is that final piece that has to be done and the legislature would not have approved it if the council and the mayor had not done it because that's the only way you can amend the charter so I don't know. I don't know really if there are other issues that I'm not familiar with. Um, But to me, it seems like pretty straightforward. And it seems like the council does have the right to do it. And I think we should kind of move on from that. And I'm wondering why the mayor isn't looking for a way to to, to talk to the city council and talk about, well, you know, if, if my budget has been slashed this way or changed this way, I'm going to come to you later for supplemental budgets. And what I heard the council say during their deliberation was, "Please bring us supplemental budgets. We are happy to add to the health insurance line. We are happy to add and vote to add to the uh, short-term interest line." Um, so, I think the council was hoping that <coughs> that the mayor, <coughs> excuse me, that the mayor would um, agree to supplement the budget in the future. She did not agree to do that, so now they're forcing her to do it because those health insurance and and short-term interest lines are mandatory payments. So if we are short, as she said, she is going to have to come
3: to the council for a supplemental budget.
1: And, Bill, you were asking the mayor, where
3: does that money come from?
1: Yeah, so let me ask you, former president of the Greenfield City Council, David Singer, I'd like to know where that money comes from and whether that has some effect because the city of Greenfield, we should note the 2003 charter chain, changed the town of Greenfield to a city form of government, now the city of Greenfield. I would like to know what happens to that free cash that's where it has to come from the cash that has been returned to the city that the city has saved for a while you have to pay the city has to pay the interest on its bonds it's not negotiable it has to pay the health insurance that's not negotiable the city council is in effect passing an unbalanced budget out of whack by over 1.1 million dollars does that concern you
16: well i i guess i want to reframe your impression of what of, of that um There is a budget and it's balanced in terms of, of how the money's been moved around. The, the question is, will in the future there, is, is the, is the substituting their judgment, is the council substitution of judgment incorrect in terms of how it perceived the particular line items that they, that they reduced? So they, based on their assessment, those line items were inflated and so they reduced them. Free cash, as I understand it, is is not something that's saved. It's something that comes it's, – it's money that's, that's gathered after the budget season ends. And that money has to be spent somehow. So it could either be spent on a supplemental budget, which is the way Mayor Martin used to do it. Mayor Martin used to agree uh, with the school committee ahead of time that when free cash was certified, he would come back to the schools in the fall and supplement their budget, which I think is what, if I were Mayor Rita Gardner, I might have suggested – um, or that money has to go into stabilization. Now, they've talked, the, the council during the Ways and Means Deliberations talked about moving money from stabilization funds, which I personally don't think is a good idea. And by the way, I personally think what they did was risky, personally, but that doesn't mean what they did was wrong. So Could you stop there for um, one second, they, please, David Singer?
1: Sure. A stabilization fund, is that the Rainy Day Fund? Is that what we're talking about?
16: Yes, it is. And, and the city council has a right. But again, it has to be it has to go through a request by the mayor to move money from a stabilization fund into into a line item in the budget.
11: That's not that, the best that,
16: way to do business. You know, that's not the best way to do business. I think the mayor is absolutely correct that, you know, if she's taking the. She's taking the traditional approach to how to do this. The city council was really charged up to fund the schools. That was the difference in philosophy, uh, philosophy, as the mayor said. She does support the schools. But that was the difference in their approach and their perspective. And so what you have is you have a situation where they're going to have to figure out how to cooperate in the next six months uh, to the tune of the mayor maybe having to come back with supplemental budgets or... I guess if she wanted to take a more conservative approach, she won't have new, she won't hire more people, as she said. Uh, but I think the council would be open to a supplemental budget. Any supplemental budget that she brings uh, that would um, you know that would help hiring and things of that nature. So it's really the inability of those two bodies to communicate with each other. Uh, that I think has created the
3: crisis, in my opinion. That's what I really want to talk to you about. That's the big question. How do you explain, how do you assess this inability? It seems like there's constant tension between uh, Greenfield City Council and Greenfield's Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Why is that the case?
1: And what do they, how do they move from here? And is it necessarily a bad thing?
16: Well, you know, I'll start with what you say, Bill. I mean, my style when I was in the city government was not to, was to try to work with everybody because I felt that we were, all in this, we were all in it together and that, you know, at the end of the day, that was more fluid. The, the community appreciated it more when uh, the mayor came with something and told me ahead of time as the president of the city council and I could let him know that I would support it and then we went through the process, you know, whatever. Uh, that was my style. Mayor Wiedegartner, not that she's, her style is different. I think Roxanne Wiedegartner feels very strongly about, um, you know, the power that she has as mayor. She has a vision. She would like to see the city council follow her vision. I don't think that's a bad thing to do, but I think at some point you have to appreciate that these people, that, that there are differences. And what I think is sadly the piece that makes it more difficult is that when the mayor says things like they're irresponsible on radio, um, you know, that, that, kind of, that kind of defeats some of the trust that's necessary in those type of relationships.
1: Well, let me so, ask, let me ask you, you, know. you about that. Let me ask you about that, David Singer, because if you cut – if the city council and the city council did cut the line item for health insurance, that means that the health insurance for new employees can't be paid – which is required under various contracts. And if the city can't pay the health insurance costs, it can't comply with the contracts, which means it can't hire new people. So it, that strikes me as a, I don't know if irresponsible is the word, but it's, it's, it's a policy that is self-defeating, it seems to me. And I'd appreciate you telling me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong.
16: You're, you're not wrong. I think that what the city council did is not sustainable, that's one of the problems with what they did. But I think the message to the community that they wanted to bring was that they really support education. And, um, you know, just and, and the mayor could not find a way to communicate or, or work with them to get them to uh, work in a direction where they were both kind of doing it together with an understanding, for example, that like I said, that there would be a supplemental budget. Same thing happened with the police department. Yes, the city council cut the budget last year, but uh, there was no communication from the mayor that, that there'd be any kind of supplemental approach to that, which I think the city council would have recognized. And then it came to a head in February. And so there's just stylistic differences, and those stylistic differences create a lack of trust. And it's really hard to build trust politically, as you know from watching the national scene, and locally it's the same thing. So without trust between the two bodies, they just act on their own. And that's what's happened here. You have the city council doing what they think is right. You have the mayor telling you what she thinks is right. I'm not sure either one of them are wrong, but they're certainly different. And it would be a lot better for us sitting here in Greenfield if they if they were able to find a way to do this where we didn't have this kind of a, of a, 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 of a position uh, at the end of the budget season.
3: We are speaking with David Singer, uh, longtime uh, leader of the Greenfield City Council, of the Greenfield School Committee, and currently of the Zoning Board of Appeals in Greenfield. He's sharing his view from 10,000 feet at the political scene in Greenfield. And we're going to be back with David right after this.
0: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. It's the all-new Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo, Tara Brewster. Saturdays at 11
7: and Sundays at 2. Brought to you by realtor Craig Delapena, Over 18 years experience selling valley homes within 10 blocks of rail trails near parks and other conservation areas or antique and historic houses. Contact Craig at northamptonrealtor.com slash innovator.
0: The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, only on WHMP.
17: WHMP is
14: looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply.
15: So, I have this friend from school. He told me that he hit his girlfriend during an argument. He said he had a few too many and it was no big deal. He says his dad hits him at home like that makes it okay to hit her. I've seen him mess with her at parties and I, f- I felt really weird about it. I didn't know what to do. Then Nelquick came into our class and talked about being a positive bystander. So I realized there are some ways I can help. I can say, that's not okay, and there's someone you can talk to. I called Nelquit's hotline and found out about counseling near here that's free and confidential. We all get angry sometimes, but there's no excuse for abuse.
8: Nelquit, New England Learning Center for Women in Transition. Offering 24-hour crisis line support, walk-in appointments, counseling, safe plan, legal services, and supportive, supervised children's visitation. Please reach out to them. They'll be there. 479 Main Street, Greenfield. Nelquit.org. N E L C W I T.org. Information at 413 772 0871.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
3: And we are back with David Singer, our observer of the political scene up in Greenfield. Massachusetts and David we've been talking about the budget we've been talking about the mayor's budget which was I think a uh, over a 6.5 percent increase proposed from the current uh, budget and uh, then the City Council um, took the mayor's budget and amended it it uh, gave an additional 1.18 million dollars to the schools as the schools were requesting and it made some cuts, including uh, short term debt service payments and employee health insurance and even workers' compensation. And we've been talking about uh, the re- relationship between the uh, mayor and the city council. Bill, you had a question for David.
1: I do, because those three cuts cannot stand. The city has to pay for workers' compensation, the, the city has to pay its short term interest, and the city has to pay, make the other payments. It has to pay for health insurance because it's legally obligated to do that. Therefore, the city is going to do that. Therefore, in some manner, the mayor goes back to the council. If this does not stand what the council did and ask for more money, it has to happen because the city of Greenfield cannot default on its debt. It can't do that. It's illegally. It's not only irresponsible. It's illegal. It can't do that. So... If all this comes to pass and the city council and the mayor follow the uh, suggestions, I think the implied suggestions of Mr. Singer, and uh, comes back with free cash and says, here's how we'll uh, cover those costs. they reach agreement. Okay, of some sort. Isn't what has happened, David, that this problem has been solved by kicking it down the road for one year, and one year from now, you're going to have exactly the same problem and it's on, it's gonna be worse because there's gonna be less cash available to pay the bills. Why is that analysis wrong?
16: Um, I don't I, I, I don't know why you think so again, I can only I can only tell you from my own experience that I, I saw as president of the council that what the way that Mayor Martin negotiated with the city council was that he asked us to pass more or less his budget, and then he promised to bring the free cash in later for those places that we hoped would be supplemental. The mayor didn't feel comfortable doing that, and so the the council, in effect, put the mayor at checkmate because the things that they cut, she has to come back and ask for supplemental. Now, it it, it sounds awful, and I can't disagree that it sounds awful, but instead of the mayor proposing it, the council's only power was to force it. So they took all the things away and they said, hey, if you if you don't have enough money in the bond uh, uh, column or the health insurance column, come back to us and, and with a supplemental budget and we'll fund it. But in the in the, in the days I was experienced on the city council, the, the that conversation took place ahead of time. There was, you know, we're going to come back later and supplement the, the budget. And the mayor is I'm not. Again, I'm not disparaging her by saying this. She feels more cautious. She doesn't want to make that kind of promise. But that's how I saw business run. And that's how the education budget was sustainably backfilled every year. So, um, you know, it's really a power play. And you also have Jenny um, DeSorger, head of Ways and Means, is running for mayor. So you have that as well. It's an election year. You have a lot of, you have a big power play going on between who's going to, you know, and, and I think the council, put the mayor in checkmate. And I think she feels that the only way out of checkmate is to fight this through the legal piece that she's talking about. And that's why she's fighting so hard to do it. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of embarrassing or maybe she feels lousy about the fact that they did it. But um, that's, that's what I think happened from 10,000 feet. That's civics and politically what happened during this budget debate.
3: So I, I do want to point out that there's almost 4% free cash, usable money. Free cash in, of the Greenfield budget last year um, was available to be used to, as you say, back backfill um, the things that Bill's talking about, the, the uh, debt service on loans and the uh, employee health benefits and the uh, workers' compensation. There is that free cash available, right?
16: Well, that free cash, the mayor wisely put that free cash in stabilization. That, it, that lowered our interest rates. So this year, because the stabilization funds are pretty solid, she wouldn't really need to put that much of the free cash into stabilization. She could actually put it back into the things that are more budget necessary. So again, this is just me from 10,000 feet. The mayor knows more than I do. I'm not saying anything. I think that what sh- her um, her approach to it is traditional. And um, if that's how she wanted the council to proceed with their wanting to do other things, then I... Just wonder why there wasn't a negotiation to get that
3: done. I I hope we're not too deeply in the weeds by me asking this question. My understanding is for free cash, it's just a simple majority that moves free cash. But for stabilization— Correct.
16: Stabilization is a two-thirds vote. You can't move out of stabilization. It's a harder thing to remove money.
3: Yeah, it's a harder thing to remove money from— Yes, it is. It's
16: harder to remove money once you've put it in there. And then that's brought up a lot when— when that happens, that it's easier to put it in, but it's harder to take it out, which is good. You don't want that savings account to be attacked without a clear supermajority of the city council.
1: Where the city council agrees that it really is raining outside. I'd like to go back, to exactly. David Singer, and have you explain this one more time to those of us in the crowd who find this confusing. What exactly sure. is free cash, and how is it that it's such a large percentage of the Greenfield budget?
16: So if we budget to spend $10 and we only spend $8, $2 is free cash. It gets certified once the books are closed, June 30th. Everybody sees how much was actually spent versus what was budgeted. And then there's actually money because the taxing was done based on the budget. There's actually money hanging around. And that's called free
1: cash. And that's either because revenues so, were higher than expected or that the, the various departments, for one reason or another, correct. didn't spend correct. all the money they were given. Correct. Okay. Correct. And in terms of.
16: And historic. Ahead,
3: son. Well, I was just going to say Greenfields is not, at, at about 4%, it's not that high. Agawam famously keeps it around 15%, 13% of their overall budget is free cash. And then they have this mobility to use it they keep it as free free cash and that's, that's... fine
16: you know I, again i'm not i don't know that i don't know how i'm not i'm not professor i'm not i don't i'm none of that and and some of the things i'm saying might be very broad brush and somebody might say david that's not exactly right but free cash is what's left over
3: got it that i know so David Singer, um, I guess the place to end is I'm just going to ask Bill's question uh, that he ended with a conversation that he had with uh, Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner, which is where do we go from here? How do we end up making sure that the budget is one which the Department of Revenue will certify and that satisfies the needs of the constituents of both the council and the mayor? How is that going to happen?
16: I... I would hope that the mayor would accept the budget that the city council gave her. And as she's moving towards the fall election, develop a strategy to work with the city council to deal with what she believes are the inequities or the inefficiencies. And, uh, you know, put up a peace flag and sit down with people and uh, explain how she would like to do it and um, get the support of the city council to do it. That's what I think. I think the idea of going to DOJ, well, I understand DOR. it. DOR. A DOR, I mean. Uh,
3: Department of Revenue, yeah.
16: As I, right. As I understand it, I mean, it just creates more, you know, it's perceived as the, as the city, different city entities are fighting with each other. I just don't I don't know how I don't I don't know what this fight is about. I, I think the fight is really about now that this is done, how are we going to backfill these of uh, these places where uh, so that the mayor can feel confident hiring people?
1: The city and, has uh, to spend and, and, and this and David money, David, David. The city has to spend this money. It's not discretionary. Somehow, money has to be approved in a legal way that will pay for the debt service, that will pay for workers' comp, and that will pay for the health insurance. Because otherwise, the city can't hire anybody. That's an in, that's that's not a tenable position.
16: Um, I, I I hear what you're saying, but I think that I think that that's that. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that rigid.
3: Yeah, I know. We I we keep talking.
16: Ways, I think there are ways. I think there are ways that 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 the that the two sections of the bill. This was a unanimous vote of the city council. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you know seven to six.
3: Yeah, no, I understand. And and this so, is what I can tell you. I don't live in a city, but I'm uh, very familiar with how we do budgets in my hilltown, which is how most hilltowns do it, and we have these issues all the time. Sometimes we use free cash to retire a debt because the the interest rates are going up or we, you know, we we always are, after we uh, do our budget, we then have to move, we have free cash and we use it appropriately. I think that's what the city council has in mind. But David Singer, uh, thank you. So it really is helpful to hear what it looks like from 10,000 feet as an observer of the political scene in Greenfield, which it's a complicated one for us, and I know that you have uh, been at it for a long time and are familiar with the. And thank you for sharing it with I us. Really, I
16: really appreciate you asking me to come on the show, and uh, thank
3: you, both of you. Won't be the last time. Thank you, David Singer. Everybody else, we're going to be back, and we're going to have writer's block. We have a really interesting guest of Megan Zinn's right after this.
15: to
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
6: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera presented the fiscal 2024 budget to City Council late last week. The $132.3 million proposed budget represents an increase of 4.7 percent from this year's budget and includes money for the creation of a new Climate Action Department, Resilience Hub, and a proposal to hire student officers to address the staffing shortage with the police department. The proposed budget also includes a ramping up of the Division of Community Care. Shira told the council she's hopeful for the future of the city, with ambitious plans and a strong drive toward progress and long-term success. The Massachusetts Commission on LGBTQ Youth will work with Stonewall College at UMass for training to benefit Amherst and Amherst Pelham Regional Schools beginning at the start of school next year. This comes as a response to recent allegations of transphobic comments by counselors at the middle school and a Title IX investigation. The training will involve consultation with students and will require the cooperation of Acting Superintendent Douglas Slaughter. The Safe Schools Program for LGBTQ Students is also developing an education outreach, and advocacy program to increase positive engagement of parents and caregivers of LGBTQ youth. The Bombex Center for Arts and Equity will remain music-free until an automatic sprinkler system is installed in the center's sanctuary. Fire Chief John Devine ordered that all indoor music cease as Bombex is considered a nightclub due to occasional liquor sales, which would require the sprinkler. Devine's order follows a meeting last Thursday with city officials and Bombex staff to address problems. The Bombeck Center is located in Florence's Historical Congregational Church.
9: For today, it'll be mostly sunny, highs 70 to 74. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 42 to 46. And the elk for Tuesday, sunshine and clouds, highs in the lower 70s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
0: Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 1015, 1400, and 1240. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman program. WHMP.
8: Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with
3: a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for
5: members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place. This place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160.
17: There's good news for sports fans who don't have cable TV. The Wall Street Journal reports ESPN is moving toward becoming a standalone streaming channel available through subscriptions. The channel would still be available on cable. There's no timetable yet for the change. Just like buying a home, the cost of renting one can vary widely depending on where you live. A new consumer affairs study found that the best places to rent are in the Midwest. Specifically, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Iowa are the best states to rent a home. California is the worst. Chrysler is recalling 200,000 certain model year 2014 through 2016 Jeep Cherokee vehicles equipped with a power lift gate. The company says an electrical short in the power lift gate module may lead to a vehicle fire with the ignition on or off. It urges owners to park away from structures. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with
0: Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
3: And it is that special time of the week when our regular segment, Writer's Block with Megan Zinn, is uh, today, Wonderful. Monday. And we are just so glad to, to have it. I've been looking at, uh, uh, on the Internet, about your guest today and uh, the short story collection that she is working on. It's really fascinating. It
18: really is. It really is. My guest is Yvette Lisa Nlovu, and uh, she is a Zimbabwean Saranganu, which translates as both story and storyteller.
3: May I just ask, Megan, could you spell the last name if anybody wants to? Oh, look? sure.
18: That's N D L O V U. Um, and I'll say that again later. Um, and she is an MFA student at UMass Amherst, and she received her BA from Cornell. Um, and her first full-length collection of stories, "Drinking from the Graveyard Wells," it's a wonderful title, uh, was published in March. And um, uh, the, uh, the I love this quote. The MFA program director at UMass, Jeff Parker, said of Yvette's work: um, "In Yvette and Lovu's stories, houses disappear, ravenous ants feast on carnivore lollipops, and gods work at the bank. Their myths of political and social reality cut with bone and blood. Lovu is a true original." a literary force whose style is just real enough to feel magical and just magical enough to feel real. There may be no other writer quite like her at work today. Very high praise. Uh, So welcome, Yvette. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'd love to have you read a little bit of one of your stories, a couple minutes if you you could, um, and maybe set it up a little bit for us.
19: Yeah, uh, so I'll be reading from Home Became a Thing with Thorns, Um, And in this story, I'm exploring the surreal experience of being an immigrant. Mm -hmm. So in the world of this story, um, immigrants have to give up something that they love in order to naturalize as a citizen. So home became a thing with thorns. They take Jabu's eyes on a Tuesday morning. The snowflakes fall with an obscene tenderness outside. We're inside a sterile government building that looks like a cross between a DMV and a church. The building seems to be designed to keep any warmth out as the quere inside get comfortable. It is the kind of cold that takes hold of your bones and refuses to let go. My friend Jabu is a painter. With the stroke of a brush, he can put rainbows to shame. He likes to paint our homeland. The beautiful blue sky we left behind when home became a thing with thorns. The naturalization priest lays a hand over Jabu's eyes. And just like that, Jabu's beautiful brown eyes vanish as if they've never existed. The spot where his eyes used to be is as smooth as an arm. Jabu collapses to the ground and wretches on all fours into a plastic bin. Jabu isn't the first to vomit during a naturalization ceremony. So the priests always have those little plastic bins stationed at every corner of the building. The naturalization priest face sours like it might if he spotted a fat rat scurrying into his kitchen. Jabu retches until there's nothing left to come out of him anymore. He dry heaves and wails for the rest of the ceremony. He can't even cry. They took his eyes. One never knows what the naturalization priests are going to take from a query Quere. The only thing that we do know is that they will take something that you love. I remember my conversation with Jabu before the ceremony. I won't be a Quere Quere anymore, he'd said. his eyes lighting up at the prospect of his dreams coming together like pieces of a puzzle to a decent life. When I'm a citizen, I will take shifts at the power plant during the day and then paint at night. I'll save up to open up my own gallery, you'll see. I can't wait to brag to everyone that I have a friend with a gallery, I say. I watch Jabu on the floor now. The wretched of the earth are not meant to make art. We're supposed to be too busy surviving. The corners of the priest's mouth twitch upwards in delight at the humiliation. Another quitter, quitter, show his place. Even though I too want to slump to the ground, I move towards Jabu and help him up. Come on, Jabu, I say, stop it. I know it's cruel, but I have to be the stronger one. I can't let Jabu end up like Asha. God forbid he ends up like Asha. You're a citizen now, I remind him, giving him a squeeze. Forget your eyes, they are, were, a small price to pay. They took, he whimpers, still unable to fully comprehend what happened, my eyes. You can find other ways to make art, Jabu, I say, pulling his hair back so he can reach some more. Others have it worse, please. I don't want you to end up like Asha is, was, our friend. While we picked up the new language and tried to iron out our old accents, like pressing the wrinkles out of clothing, Asha refused to learn the new tongue. It was her form of resistance. This place would take from us anyway, Asha said. Why not hold on to something? Then the naturalization priest took her language. No longer could she sing Stella tuition and Leonard Dembo songs, songs that reminded us of the old weddings and parties from the homeland before everything was lost. She didn't eat for a month after she got her citizenship. We found her hanging from the ceiling on a Saturday night. It could be worse, I say again, trying to convince myself more than him. The naturalization priests don't only take body parts and voices, they can take away joy, names, love, beauty, songs, laughter, family recipes, music, and so much more, I shudder to think about it. But that is the price of citizenship, Uh, and I'll stop there.
18: Oh my gosh, that is devastating and beautiful. Beautiful writing. So, um, Vet Lisa and Lovu, tell us about your collection, Drinking from Graveyard mm. Wells. Tell us about the, the themes and ideas you explore in your stories.
19: Mm. Uh, Drinking from Graveyard Wells is a genre-bending collection that blurs the lines between Afro-surrealism, social horror, fantasy, a little bit of Afro-futurism mm-hmm. to tell the story of um, African women uh, taking on the patriarchy and capitalism, uh, as well as um, dictatorships. I'm from Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Lived under the Mugabe uh, dictatorship. So exploring the absurdity of that experience uh, as well.
18: Mm-hmm. Tell us, um, wh- for our listeners, if they're not familiar with the term and with the genre Afrofuturism, how would you define it? Mm-hmm.
19: Yeah, Afrofuturism is uh, black writers imagining. Um, mm-hmm freer futures um so think uh marbles you know black a uh, black panther would fall under afrofuturism a lot of work by uh, octavia butler uh is afrofuturism but uh the genre that i'm most interested in uh, right now is Afro surrealism, which mm-hmm. is about telling the narrative of the contemporary black experience so the right now instead of the future okay and how absurd that experience is and leaning into that uh, absurdity. I think uh, the best example, or the most popular example of Afro uh, surrealism, is Jordan Peele's film *Get ah, Out*. Of course, where you yeah. You have, you know, the sunken place. So leaning into those kind of like horror and absurd uh, uh, conceits.
6: Wow,
18: wonderful! Um, what what writers have influenced you?
19: Mm, um, the Nigerian writer uh, Leslie Arima. Mm-hmm. So uh, her book. Uh, what it means when a man falls from the sky. She uses a lot of uh, mythology and fabulism and that gave me permission to explore that uh Zimbabwean mythology in my own work. Uh Zimbabwean writers like No Violet bloayo Um she recently uh came out with the book Glory, which is like a post-colonial fable mm-hmm. and she leans into you know those uh fables from back home uh which I loved. Um Nana Kwame Adesh oh, Yes, yeah, so we had uh, on a couple well, weeks ago. Yes. Oh yeah, I, I just started his uh, his new book, uh, Chain Gang. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to get Fantastic. to it uh, yeah. this summer. <laughs>
18: um, so, my guest, my guest is writer yvette Lisa Lovu, and I think we're going to take a break, and we'll come back and chat some more.
4: immigration scene
12: shining and feeling clean could it be a sin i can't stopped by the immigration man he said he doesn't know if he can
0: this is talk the talk with bill newman and buzz Eisenberg
8: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op
1: member, Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
1: You love your car, we all do.
5: It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst and online at forthillcs.com.
1: Oh, the places you'll go. This Dr. Seuss book might be the quintessential graduation gift Broadside has it, plus other books for grads. Like What Now by Ann Patchett, Navigate Your Stars by Jesmyn Ward. Toni Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard, Selected Essays, Speeches, and Meditations. Browse Broadside Bookshop for inspiring books for graduates. How about Devotions, The Selected Poems of Mary Oliver. How about Rough Sleepers by Tracy Kidder. Or Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things. Browse Broadside, buy a book for a grad. Here
0: comes the money. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
3: And we are back. Uh, We're just uh, able to eavesdrop on a wonderful conversation between Megan Zinn and Yvette Lisa uh, Mm Dlovo, the author of short story collection Drinking from Graveyard Wells, from which she just read. Really fascinating.
18: Yeah, really fascinating part of the story. Um, Yvette, um, I know that can be difficult for artists to find their footing again after a significant move. Um, did you have trouble writing after you immigrated? Um, what, what helped you find your voice in this very new place?
19: Mm, yeah. Um, so you know, like I mentioned, um, the stories that I read when I was in Zimbabwe were mostly set in the UK and the US. Mm. So I didn't think that Africans were allowed to be in books. And then when I immigrated to the US, um, I had an African professor who introduced me to books by other African writers. So for the first time I was reading those kinds of books and that gave me permission to uh, explore uh, African mythology in uh, in my own work. So I think coming to the US actually opened up my world a lot more because I was able to have access to a different variety of books, so I had different voices and that allowed me to find my own voice.
18: That's fantastic. That's fascinating. Um, and, and when you came here, um, I don't know if you went there direct immediately, but you um, you were obviously at Cornell, living in Ithaca for a while, and now you live in Massachusetts. Um, how was adapting to winter? How was how was it to experience <laughs> snow for the first time?
19: Uh, it was shocking at first, trying to learn how to you know dress for the winter. But I actually <laughs> love the cold, having been around all year round, summer my whole life. I, I like the change maybe I'll be sick of it after a few years but at the moment i li- i love the cold
18: <laughs> I love hearing that as somebody who likes winter it's nice to know that that uh, yeah. you that you can uh, that people can adjust from such different climates um how else has living in the united states um impacted your work
19: mm. um yeah so i think uh you know right now i'm writing in the genre of Afrofuturism, which is about you know exploring the you know the contemporary Black experience, and reading um, African uh, African American work as well as films has allowed me to explore that. So I always uh, talk about Jordan Peele's Get Out mm-hmm. and how he uses uh, horror in his films, and that um, that opened up um, permission and space mm-hmm. for me to mm-hmm. do that and think about what are the absurd experiences of being an African wo- uh, an African woman. How can I use uh, horror and absurdism to talk about living under a dictatorship to talk about the hyperinflation that happened in Zimbabwe where bread was a billion dollars and we would you know queue up to buy bread for that amount of money so you know the horror and absurdity of that experience I think I wouldn't have you know come to that if I hadn't engaged with um, Mm African-American writers uh, and filmmakers
18: it's very, very interesting that you, you know, coming to the U.S. opened up a better way, a new way, and um, a, a new perspective on on where you've lived your whole life, Bill.
1: Hi, this is Bill Newman. I'd be interested to know whether your moving to the United States influenced your views on colonialism and the after and its aftermath uh, in this, uh, the southern part uh, in countries of Africa.
19: Mm. Um. Um yeah i think you know i was you know exposed to more so you know different people uh from like when i was at at UMass, meeting other people who have experienced colonialism from other countries so south asians um and you know other people from around the world and having those kind of conversations about how different and similar um our experiences are so i think the us is kind of like a melting pot of different cultures so i was able to get a lens into how other people have experienced colonialism.
1: Yeah, give a broader view. I I don't mean to press. Um yeah. and you can and you can not answer this if it's uncomfortable for any reason, but I'd like to know what your view is about how uh, the colonial powers left the countries, uh, mm. in sub Saharan Africa. You talk about Zimbabwe and Uganda and Rwanda mm. and uh, uh your thoughts, anything you would care to share with us about that?
19: Uh, yeah, so uh, my work, especially in drinking from David Wells, I explore, you know, the failure of the revolution. So I talk a lot about you know, the Zimbabwean dictatorship, the Mugabe dictatorship, and how uh, Mugabe and other dictators used the methods of the colon- colonizer mm-hmm. on their own people. So we kind of have this inherited trauma that our current leaders, kind of learned from from that system and are perpetuating that system. So in, um, in Drinking from Graveyard Wells, I have a story where um, we have an immortal leader and I mm. use that conceit of immortality to talk about absolute power. What mm-hmm. does it mean to be under one leader forever? Uh, and the kind of like the methods that, um, that they use to to keep people in check, to to hoard um, hoard that power. And I think those are things that we inherited from the colonial system that are being perpetuated uh, till this day.
18: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and switching a little bit, um, so you, you're a co founder of uh, a, a Voodoo Knots, which is a name I love, a, yeah. a grassroots collective uh, for Black science fiction and fantasy writers, Afrofuturists, Afro Surrealists. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
19: Yeah, uh, I co founded Voodoo Knots with uh, another MFA student. She was doing her MFA at Brown, Chingay Jerry Kakunda, and we wanted to create a workshop um a a safe space for black writers where we could talk about science fiction and fantasy so we have um, a a weekend workshop um every summer where we have a cohort of 25 writers uh, exchanging work and giving support we also uh, operate on an anti-capitalist mutual aid model so Mm -hmm. the fellowship is uh free uh for our fellows and there's just like an exchange of skills so whatever skills you have you bring to the table and uh, you know, trying to kind of create the support system uh, for for marginalized writers.
18: Wonderful. Where would a writer um, who's interested in in that find out more information?
19: Yeah, uh, we have our website voodoo uh, uh, as well as Twitter. We're at uh, voodoo Nauts.
18: Okay, and at voodoo v o o d o o n a u t s for anybody uh, who didn't catch, wasn't able to catch that. Um, and um, what kind of Impact, um, um, Yvette Lisa Nudlovu, my guest, um, what kind of impact do you hope your stories have on your readers?
19: Mm. Um, you know, with working with afro I, you know, take real stories and make them absurd, but at the end of the day, they're real, like the story that I read about the surreal experience of being uh, an immigrant, where immigrants have to give up something that they love, like their eyes, body parts, and Family members, uh, in order to naturalize as a citizen, you know that comes from real stories. You know we have family separations happening right now. You know at the U.S. border, we have, you know all these, you know horrific uh, systems of power. And so there are truths to these fantastic tales, to these monsters, to these mermaids. And I want people to be able to gather, you know, the the, the truth of the story behind the the mermaids and the ghosts. Um, and the shapeshifters
18: uh, in the book. Wonderful. Um, so my my guest has been Yvette-Lisa Nlovu, who is a uh, writer, and her new um, collection of short stories is Drinking from Graveyard Wells. Uh, she's also an MFA student at UMass Amherst, and she teaches writing at UMass Amherst as well. Um, and um, where where can people get your book, um, particularly around the Pioneer Valley?
19: Um, yeah, you can get it at Amazon Books, uh, as well as uh, Odyssey Books in South Hadley. I actually have an event on June uh, 20th with Kelly Link at Odyssey uh, Books uh, in South Hadley, um, as well as online uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon uh,
18: Bookshop. And, and, and also asking your, your independent bookstore to order it for you if they don't have it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: <laughs> yes, thank you thank so much. Thank you for yeah. having me. Uh, it really was our pleasure. Megan, thank you so much uh, for that. And everybody else, thank you for joining us today on Talk to Talk. Remember, we all try to walk the walk. In this judgment,
11: there is no partiality. So, arm in arms with time, we'll fight this little struggle. Because
3: that's the only way.
0: There's
19: nothing like being in the same room at the same time, sharing your experiences with other women. At Cancer Connection's Breast Cancer Support Group, we can laugh or cry. With our burdens lifted, even for a little while, we can go back to our lives better able to handle dealing with cancer and all it entails. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services
18: free of charge.
0: Grow Food Northampton helps you make the